Welcome to episode 28 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host today, Adam McKinnon, and joined by our good friend of the show uh, and a friend of ours here, uh, Bailey from Foolish Baseball. Bailey, how are you today? Uh, I'm hanging in there, Adam. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. It's, um, you know, it's uh, like we were just uh, talking a little bit about how it's been kind of a wild week. And, um, you know, I just really appreciate you uh, putting us in your schedule because you are a uh, incredibly busy guy. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to uh, and a lot's changed since the last time you, you we've talked, you know, we, I think it was episode like 15 and then it was like episode five was the last time we talked. So um, I wanted to catch up with you a little bit, but uh, there was one thing I wanted to ask you. So in the meantime, we, we, I've started asking guests this specific question and I don't, I never got a chance to ask you. So I'll phrase it to you now. What is your baseball origin story? Where does it start? Yeah. I mean, I think my baseball origin story really starts when I was born, you know, I was born in 1995 to, you know, in the middle of a Braves dynasty, basically to two Atlanta Braves fans, parents who both of which grew up in Atlanta. For me, it's just I've always been around, you know, baseball fandom and just kind of right place, right time. You know, I played T-ball. I played Little League when I was younger. But baseball, it just has seemingly always been a big part of my life. And I really can't remember a time when I wasn't a baseball fan. Right. It goes It goes back to your, to your genesis. And, Absolutely, yeah. And so now you, uh, did you always grow up around the, the Braves or was it a team that you adopted? No, I mean, it was always the Braves. Like, I grew up, you know, uh, all around the southeastern United States, but mostly in Georgia. And so I've just, it's always been the Braves. Wow. Okay. And did you have a favorite, did you have a favorite player? Yeah, I mean, a couple. Like, so Greg Maddox was always my mom's favorite. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't really, like, around and, like, um, you know, forming memories during his prime. But I do remember him on the Braves, like, towards the end of his Braves career, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my favorite player was definitely Chipper. He was just, you know, he was right. a he was a rookie when I was born, and then he was he played until I was, you know, basically out of high school. So he was just kind of always around. Right. Okay. And now, when you, um, you know, when you sort of when you were going, you're talking about like uh, the Braves prime was through high school, everything like that. Um, did you want did this love of the Braves? Did you want to make that like a career as you were as you were coming up? Yeah, I mean definitely. Like I I remember being in high school and wanting to be a sports writer was was sort of my um uh thing that I wanted to be when I grew up and I kind of moved away from that in college. Like I didn't 
I wasn't in, like heavily involved with our athletic department and I studied, you know, history and German, which are two things that you might not <laughs> uh, associate with a fantastic career in uh, the sports industry, but not very lucrative. Uh, right. But I did, I, I found my way back to, to baseball. And so, you know, it, this has always been more of like, basically what's happened is with this YouTube channel, Foolish Baseball, is that something that's always been like a hobby and an interest of mine has mm-hmm. quickly turned into an occupation. And that's been, um, you know, interesting to explore. But also it's just like, well, once you do that, then it's like almost have to find a new hobby because now my hobby's a job, you know? Right. <laughs> have you have you <laughs> taken up any 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 hobbies you didn't expect to take up? Right. Well, I mean, I'm first of all, I'm open to all suggestions. So if anyone <laughs> wants to tweet at me a hobby, uh, knitting, you know, we could try that. I think I'm gonna. I was. I think I'm gonna get into running maybe once. Um, you know, I, I've. I'm in a spot where I can, you know, come and go as I please right. from the house and not feel guilty about it. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I might just. I don't know. I've been playing. A, I've been gaming a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, because you you were um you you were really into um I think that's how you got your start was in uh OOTP right? Yeah, that's correct. So like when I first started the Foolish Baseball channel, it was just a channel that I made out of the park baseball videos on. Like I made a series of tutorials, and then I did a a playthrough as well uh, where I played five seasons with the Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how did that how did that go? Well, it culminated in the World Series. Thank you for asking. That. <laughs> I brought the uh, I brought the World Series trophy to Chicago. Wow, that's uh, and it, so I have um, I I've adopted OOTP. Like I, I've tried for me the the culmination of baseball video games was MLB Two K Twelve. Okay, so that was like that was back when I, I was always an Xbox kid. I, I didn't have a PlayStation, so I never I've never played the show which is seems sacrilegious to say, you know, at this point, but with the OOTP, you know, I've tried and I'm, I'm doing okay with it. Like, you know, I, I, the Braves, I have won a world series with the Braves. It took me about 25 years, but I got, them. <laughs> <laughs> which, which probably speaks it takes more to them my... about every 40 years. So yeah. technically you're doing better. <laughs> my return on investments. Yeah. My return on investments pretty good. But so what was, what made you take the next step? Like when, when did it go from OOTP to the uh to the the more structured videos like the content i guess you would say yeah i mean i at some point i just i'd done i feel like i'd done enough ootp and then i had this big uh you know not big but it was like an audience of about 800 subscribers i think at the time and these were real baseball nerds so then i decided you know i want to make content for baseball nerds so that pivot was about as easy as a pivot as you can make you know so in the end i just kind of landed on baseball bits and really i think what i was trying to do with baseball bits was just make the type of video that i myself wanted to see but that i didn't feel like existed on on youtube at the time i just didn't think there was you know i love this kind of like video essay style type of um you know educational um, but also entertaining type of video that had, had taken sort of youtube by storm and i wanted to to combine that with my you know uh, burgeoning interest in, in sabermetrics and analytics and so i just felt like kind of my perspective on baseball while represented on like the nerd blogs i read all day like fan graphs and baseball prospectus wasn't really present on youtube so that's kind of how i ended up doing what i do now what was there a particular 
writer or, or a column or a book or anything that got you that sort of sparked the interest in analytics? You know, I, I've talked to people like the, the, I'll call them the OG crowd where like, you know, Bill James was what got them into it. For me, it was Keith Law, you know, like for you, like who, what, what who or what was it that did that spark that initial analytics uh, interest? Yeah. So I mean, you talked to like Dan Zimborski. So that's like yeah. when I think OG, like he's really one that he'll probably tell you, told you about like Usenet and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> we did actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't on the Usenet, but I, I did read Moneyball uh, when I was 12 or 13. And I would say that was probably um, where that all started. I think Moneyball for a lot of those people that were on the Usenet was, was a fun time because that was like, basically that book solidified that they weren't crazy in a way. Um, but yeah, so for me reading Moneyball, uh, you know, at a formative age, I was, I, yeah, I don't remember. I was 12 or 13 probably. Uh, mm-hmm. The book had been out for a few years at the time. And so that's kind of where it started. And then I think probably more recently when, you know, um, you know, two, two or three years ago, I started reading fan graphs and, and listening to the podcast effectively wild, uh, every episode. So that was kind of where that, that got solidified. So it kind of starts with reading Moneyball at a young age. And then, um, was, was really reinvigorated by, um, a lot of the people that I like to read on fan graphs. Yeah. The, the, you know, from effectively wild is one of the podcasts I try to, boy, I try to model after it, but Lin, Ben Lindbergh is just one of those guys. He goes, he goes like eight layers deeper than mm-hmm. anyone else and maybe probably should sometimes, but, uh, but, but I, I agree with you. That's a podcast that I listen to quite frequently. Um, so, so this whole thing snowballs, right? And now, congratulations on 100,000 subscribers, 103,000 last time I checked. Thank you. Um, and so this little, this little humble thing has now become a profession. So there, there's a two-part question that I wanted to ask you before, before we take a break. Uh, the first part is, when did you, what was the turning point? So what was, what was the pivot point where you said to yourself, okay, this is viable, a sort of aha moment, right? And the follow-up to that is, do you feel like, cause you know, even MLB went out of their way to say, Hey, congratulations. Right. Do you feel as though uh, they've been supportive of this? Have, do you feel like there's uh, what, what do you think they're doing for good, ill, if anything, uh, to, to help this content creators like yourself? Yeah. So as far as like the moment where I felt like I sort of, there was a breakthrough, I guess the main one would be when I released the Justin Verlander video. That's when, that's what got me a lot of that initial attention in the first place. Uh, I think a hundred thousand people watched it in like uh, maybe the first week or so. Whereas, you know, the other couple baseball bits I put out, that was like a couple hundred people watched them maybe initially. So <laughs> that was definitely the big breakthrough. Justin Verlander tweeted about it. That was pretty, that was pretty crazy. Really? For me. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, I had all, I, I, that was when I realized, Oh, I have to make more basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, the, this, there was sort of a second breakthrough, I think when I made the Tim LaCastro video, because um that summer I had spent uh, a lot of time, you know, just really worrying about the views because, you know, I was, I was still in the process of basically trying to do foolish baseball full time. So I felt like I had to piggyback off big names. So I made videos about Willie Mays, Juan Soto, Clayton Kershaw, Mike Trout, Steven Strasburg, these guys. 
And then when I came time to make the Castro video, like it blew up and it was, this was a video about the player that most even baseball fans wouldn't even really know about. So that was kind of I did. a revelation for me as well that, um, that I, that I could create the hype myself and that maybe people were watching the videos, not just for Justin Verlander, but maybe also for my input as well. And so that was, that was definitely um, a key moment as well. And then uh, for your second question about, you know, MLB support, I mean, it's hard for me to, MLB is, uh, you know, it's a big corporation. It's a conglomerate. I know, you know, really one employee over there that's that's been helping me out uh, by the name of Will, who works at MLB Social. He's the guy, you know, if if I get a nice comment from MLB, you know, people will be like, oh my gosh, MLB saw your video. All it really tells me is Will saw my video. Right. Um, and I appreciate you, Will, if you're listening to this. Um, and, and then... Um, you know, he helped me get the press passes for when I went to spring training, for example. That was probably the, the biggest solid he can do for any of us was getting us that level of access, which was very cool. Um, but, yeah, so as far as MLB as a whole, you know, I'm, I can tell you that uh, I'm able to, to monetize uh, all the baseball bits at the moment. And so that, that's, good. that's a good example of MLB being lenient because I am using their material to make those. But also, you know, I'm, I'm adding my own voice and my own original artwork and um, so it, you know, it, in my eyes, it would fall under what you would call fair use, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, th- I think the, the biggest way in some ways MLB is helpful is, is a hands-off approach. Um, because when I think of, um, a lot of the other content creators I know who maybe create videos about, uh, NBA basketball or NFL or something like that, they're always worried about like getting copyright, uh, claims on their videos and then they lose the ad revenue. And so in some ways, you know, in some ways, in, when you're in this precarious position, you would actually like as little interaction with the league as possible. So right. <laughs> all my interaction has been positive, but that's I'm just saying there's also like a hands off element that I can respect and that I almost like more than if they were just all up in my business constantly. Sure. Yeah, it's it's um, it's, uh, I guess, uh, contribution by lack of contribution. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't want that to like, you know, reflect poorly on Will, who's like in good like standing with us and he's always willing to work with us but it just means for like the everyone else at mlb basically i just i don't have much of a relationship i just i just know him and he's an extension of mlb correct yeah no and and i guess that's that's what i I get the feeling that that's probably the most confusing standpoint is the fact that you're you're providing commentary which you know sort of changes the doesn't change the rules but it it does kind of uh give you the opportunity to monetize off of it um right right I, i just try to tell people you know there's a difference between what i do and um uh putting together a highlight reel right um and and then that's kind of what you have to keep in mind Correct. Okay. Well, that is, uh, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I wanted to, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, about the baseball bits and, uh, your sort of your methods. So, uh, so we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, it's Adam here hanging with uh, Bailey from Foolish Baseball. And, uh, you know, in the first segment, we were talking a little bit about baseball bits, um, you know, and how it got started, how it sort of evolved a little bit. But I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, through the creative process, nothing ever ends up how it started. So 
Can you tell me like the very first baseball bits, not the first baseball bits that we all know and see now, but what your first run through your first, your first uh, run through of baseball bits. Did it look a lot different than it, than what we see now? Yeah. So in some ways I would say there is, um, when I go back and watch that first episode, there's a lot of similarities that are kind of stunning to me. Um, I mean, when I started, you know, I started the baseball bits thing just on a whim as far as deciding like what it was going to look like. It's going to look like, you know, an old 16 bit video game and it's going to use, um, you know, music that's, that harkens back to that era. And then I, you know, here I am 25 or 26 episodes later and it's still kind of doing the same thing. So I kind of fell, uh, ass backwards into (laughs) what was a really good format, even though I, you know, when I made it, I was probably thinking, well, maybe this is just a one-off or something, just something I'm doing as a, uh, weird creative exercise but um yeah i think i think the biggest difference would have to be um there's first of all i think in the in the original baseball bits there isn't any of that original uh pixel artwork that i do now i kind of had to learn to do that as i go along and i didn't I don't think i really got the hang of it until i got to about episode five or six until i was making something that actually looked half decent um and then another i think the biggest thing for me has been just approaching it um, almost more like academically. Like I mentioned that I studied history in college. Um, For me, that's meant definitely before I even write the episode, doing an outline so that I can uh, organize my thoughts better. So I think that's been key as well. It's it's just been, um, you know, it it takes longer to do a video now than it did some of my earlier videos. But I I think I've also been able to sort of heighten the the professionalism of it. Oh, and another good one. Um, I was using a different (laughs) microphone at the time um for the first like maybe 12 or 12 of them and um and uh i think maybe for the first 10 or so baseball bits the best recording space i had was in the hatchback uh i drive a hatchback and i would sit like i would fold down all the seats and i would sit in the back of my car with all the sound dampening and so (laughs) the first five or ten baseball bits some of them i swear i'm like i'm like crouch down weird in the back of my car at like midnight because i'm trying to get this video done <laughs> so if you can picture that when you watch the justin verlander video like i'm literally sitting in the back of a honda fit trying to record that off my laptop that is so <laughs> what kind of mic were you using it was just like a 20 or 30 dollar like usb mic i bought off amazon but now i'm on now i've got like a, a blue yeti or nice. whatever it is they call it yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like the, that's a very popular brand, but this one was not. Yeah. No, the, the, <laughs> I've uh, coming from the music industry. I've, I've heard of some wild like recording methods and you know, for it's one of those things that you can't, you can't almost unsee it even though you can't see it. So mm-hmm. it's uh, you, when you're, when you hit a million subscribers, right. You know, you're going to, you're going to be like, you know, I remember cutting my teeth to be in the back of my Honda fit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> In my parents' garage. In your parents' garage, that makes it even better. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things that we you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but I wanted to press you on it a little bit. You know, you talked about, um, re, you know, sort of doing uh, videos on big name players, and then eventually kind of making the switch. Uh, not not the switch. That's maybe that's not the right phrasing. Making. Um, bringing awareness to like lesser known players like, you know, Tim LaCastro and, and, and things like that. Um, 
what is there a method to the topics that you're choosing? Like, do you have a sort of pre-planned thing out and how, what's your method for just, is it something you just see and interesting? Oh, that's cool. Um, I'll do a video on that. Like what, what's your method behind topic selection? Yeah, I think the, the closest thing I could say to a method is that I'm looking for someone with, um, with outliers, someone who has some sort of skill set where, Maybe they're either really good or really bad at one thing. Usually it's really. Um, so, if, for instance, in the Castro, obviously, like he's, his ability to get hit by pitches and his sprint speed are just it's a weird combination of skills. And then when I did the Jeff Mathis video, okay, here's a guy who's, who can't hit, basically, who hits, um, who hits like a Zach Greinke, who's a pitcher, <laughs> um, and then who's, you know, who has this um, supernatural ability to, to call a game and, and um, get on the same page as pitchers and, and frame their pitches. Um, so he brings value that way. So I think just um, if there's any method to my madness, I would say go go find some sort of stat and figure out who's the best at it or who's the worst at it. And um, yeah, I think I'm just always kind of looking for someone with that with something that's an outlier that's that deviates from the league norm so much that that I feel obligated to talk about them. Does is there anything that when you're so when you find these outliers? how much time do you think or or how deep does the rabbit hole go before you bail out? And I mean, like, for example, like I've done uh, for writing, I I try to do articles kind not always, but kind of the same way uh, where I go deep, I go down. Okay. The first layer, this is interesting. Second layer. Okay. This is kind of interesting. Third layer. No, this isn't, this isn't for me. This, This, there's not, there's not as much here as I thought. Have you ever run into situations like that? Um, kind of, I've, I've definitely, there've been moments where I was doing sort of the preliminary research for a topic. And then I found out, I was like, this is probably not, you know, for me, baseball bits is ideally between 10 and 15 minutes. Then sometimes I just find a video idea that's better as a five minute video. And I decide I can't really do this one now. Maybe, maybe some other, but yeah, I mean, I remember the, the, the hardest bailout I ever had was I did get like, a day or two into how many Cy Young awards would Cy Young have won before I realized um, it was just going to be a, a lot of math and a lot of, a lot of work just to right. be able to answer that question and then make the video. So that's the closest thing to, to a bailout experience I've had was when I tried to figure out how many Cy Young awards Cy Young would have won. <laughs> Do you, did did you did you come to any sort of conclusion on that? Or was it, what do you yeah. think the rabbit hole was too deep? So the problem was I almost had to answer the question three times because I wanted to answer it first based on uh, like our standards now. So I was going to maybe look at like how many times he led in war or something like that. And then I was going to look at, um, you know, what was emphasized historically in Cy Young voting. So I think if you look at the Felix Hernandez video, which is the most recent one I've done, mm-hmm. that idea was almost born out of the how many Cy Young awards with Cy Young of one <laughs> video because it's dealing with some of those same topics. And the third is I would have made my own sort of Cy Young prediction formula as well and then gone back and compared him to uh, some of the other uh, competitors as well. So it, when you're trying to solve this question three or four times, I was like, this is going to take forever. So I bailed right. Have you ever thought about doing like a multi-part series or something like, like when you unpack, like, cause I noticed what, when you unpack something, you unpack a very specific question or a very specific point, right? Like you talked about, like, say Tim LaCastro, like he does these very specific things. You, you unpack it in, in a few minutes and there's, it's not that there's not anything else there. There's, there's tons there, but 
you're able to sort of reach the conclusion within one video. Have you have you ever thought about doing, say, like multi-part series uh, in terms of unpacking those broader questions like like you just touched on at the Cy Young situation? Right. I definitely thought of it. I think the closest I've actually come to executing that was when uh, I did my video on Pedro Martinez's 1999 to 2000 season. That video came out to 24 minutes long, which is twice as long as one of my baseball bits. And it's, you know, nicely demarcated by those two seasons. So it's almost like a two-parter. I think I'd probably skew more towards making one long-form video rather than a series um, for now. But it's it's definitely something in the future, like when I feel like maybe maybe I get to number episode number 50 and I feel like, you know, creatively I've sort of stagnated a little bit. I'm, that may be a way to challenge myself is to try to tackle something over the course of multiple episodes. So it's definitely something I'm keeping in mind, but not for the near future. Do you think that would be, that's going to be difficult when for, you know, to, cause you've really established kind of a brand in a way, you know, the, the style of delivery, the, um, you know, the, the presentation, like, you know, the, the, the 16 bit thing as a child of the 16 bit, uh, video games, uh, I, my N64 is still my favorite. I know 64 bit, I get it. But like, you know, uh, the, um, my vintage video games are kind of like my thing. I, very much enjoy it, but also it, it it's kind of going to, do you think it's going to be a difficult brand to break from? Yeah, I do. Um, I try to tell myself that even though, you know, when I'm working on the videos, it's like, this is, you know, I've been doing this for like basically close to a year and a half now. And it's just, it hasn't changed that much. Like I said, mm-hmm. but then I try to remind myself like, this is only the 26th time I've done this. Right. And I've watched like, 160 episodes of Seinfeld and enjoyed it. So in some ways I just have to like keep telling myself because for me it's two weeks, but for them it's 15 minutes. And so that's, that completely, you know, warps my perspective on, is this too much baseball bits? Um, Because my whole life revolves around it. And like I said, for them, it's 15 minutes every two weeks. So I try to tell myself things like that, but yet at the same time, you know, I I am definitely thinking about, okay, there's, there is going to be a time where that gets old. There's no way there's, I, there's no way five years from now I'm, I'm going to be doing it. Right. Um, you know, not at least in the format I'm doing it now. So I definitely think about that, but I think for now I, I, I don't feel like it's stale and I don't feel like, I basically don't feel like my mission has been fulfilled with this series. I haven't been able to talk about all the things I want to talk about. And until I get to that point, I can't really start thinking about what comes next. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a very work intensive, uh, intensive thing. You know, I don't think, I don't think that, um, I think people know a lot of work goes into this because then there's like buffoons like myself who, who who get like a video editor and they think they can do it. And obviously we can't, um, but uh, you know, how, how much time really like does go into a single episode? Right. So I just, um, I just wrapped up making one uh, a couple days ago and um, I, the closest thing right now, it seems to be if I work on it every day, one minute of video is equal to about one day. Mm. So for, to make a, to make a, say a 12 minute video, it would maybe take me working on it every day, 12 days, you know? So I, the way that would probably get split up is it would take me three or four days to write it four days to download all the clips and make the artwork and, and put together all the stat graphics. And then another three or four to where I'm in the video editor. And then, and then even then for me, I find an extra day gets tacked on at the end because I need an extra day to 
uh, render it, upload it, create the thumbnail, write the description, uh, figure out what the title is, set up the end screen, set up where the ad placement is going to be. So that stuff takes a long time too. Even though I'm technically done to actually get it distributed to people, it can take up to a full day as well. So uh, yeah, like I said, for about every one minute you see on screen, that took me probably uh, about a day uh, or a little bit less. Right. Have you ever thought about, you know, because so much of what you hear nowadays is consistency of content. You got to like, you know, you got to be putting out as much as you can and all this other stuff. Have you have you ventured at all or, or given any thought to other forms of media um, sort of expanding the brand at all? Because I know, of course, there's this mythical podcast which, right. which may or may or may not exist. It's, it's the unicorn of the, of the baseball content world. And I'm not here to press you about that. You know, sure. I, think, I think the media does that enough already. Um, right. But, but I feel like, you know, have you, have you ventured in, have you thought about venturing into other, other uh, mediums? Right. I kind of have in the sense that like my spring training trip was uh, not that long ago. And so I put together like two vlogs basically. And so, for the first time I was on camera for the first time, you know, I was filming, you know, not just doing it all from my desktop. Basically I was, you know, out uh, in the field, you know, I was interviewing baseball players and I had a really good time with that. And I think the people that did watch it, enjoyed it, obviously didn't get the numbers that, you know, typical baseball bits would, because, you know, like I said, like you said earlier, people are accustomed to a certain type of, of content, but yeah, using that to expand was really exciting. Um, and then obviously the podcast is huge. It's number zero on the iTunes charts right now. So That's, I, mean, uh, I try to focus some of my energy on that as well. I, I think it's really, I, I feel like it, you, it's so commendable, like how, how you just blazed onto the podcast scene. Right. And I was really trying to be a professional and avoid, you know, you know, sort of showering you in the praise you, you so deserve for that. But I mean, you've kind of forced my hand and um, just it's really compelling. If you if you want to find it, uh, you know, you can look on the on the like you said, on the zero spot on the Apple iTunes charts. Right, I, yeah. I just think it's fantastic. You know, yeah, if you go to the sports category, like just, you know, right above number one is number zero. And, and that's where you'll find the Foolish Baseball yeah. podcast. Mm, I mean, it's uh, if you if you haven't seen it yet, it, it's it, or you haven't listened to it yet. I'm sorry. You are missing out. You, you are missing out. So. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, aside from all of that, of course, you know what I mean? And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be pros and push past all of that. We're going to let the listeners hear for themselves what's going on there. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to, wanted to press you a little bit more too on, you know, when you talk about creating the content and, you know, things like that, I mean, this is not an easy time to do that. How, how has this, how has the current circumstances affected how you approach creating content right now? Yeah. So thankfully, like I think in the grand scheme of the sports industry, I've gotten off extremely lucky here. I already <laughs> work at home. Um, I don't usually work on the most topical type of thing. So, you know, my ability to make baseball bits isn't, you know, necessarily reliant on there being baseball in the year uh, 2020 because I make so many videos about things that happened in years past. Um, but, um, you know, so for example, I think probably the people I feel worse for are the beat writers, obviously. I think they're probably the ones that are, that are finding it the most difficult right now. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I have found it impeding my, my workflow in some ways. There is an active player right now who I would really like to make a video about, almost a Castro esque type video. Um, but unfortunately, 
Um, he just hasn't played enough in the majors for me to really have all the data that I would before I could really start to do that. So, and if he had played, you know, a couple extra months, then I'd be able to do it. So, I'm kind of waiting on that for, for for that player's sake. But yeah, so that that would be one example of where I am impeded because there's 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 basically the seasons on pause, and and with the season on pause, that also means there are stories and narratives that are on pause, and I can't talk to about them until they're complete. Do you think that people are have you adjusted the type of stories like that you're that you're trying to do like outside of the active players like do you feel a, a need to to do different types of stories than you had originally planned i think even before i was um i had made so many videos about active players that i wanted to get back into making ones about players that weren't active so um i made the uh, you know, a, a good example, I wanted to get sort of more into historical baseball. I made the one about Earl Weaver, you know, and the, the Orioles of the 1970s. That's my favorite, those, my favorite yeah. episode. And I thought it came out really well. I thought from just the perspective of um, trying to make a, a intelligent baseball argument, it was one of the best videos I've made. Maybe not the most, you know, funny or off the wall or entertaining, but I thought it was definitely informative. Um, and then the next one, the next video that's a, that's going to come out that I just finished is also about a player who isn't active. So I think that was definitely, you know, this has definitely um, increased the likelihood of me making uh, videos on players who aren't active um, just because I don't have to worry about, the, you know, weird shenanigans happening in a half season right. that threw off some of my ideas. Do you think that, you know, and again, I go back to the, given the current climate, you know, with baseball kind of being indefinitely on hold, you know, um, do you feel that your audience is asking for different types of things? Like, I'm sure you get like requests. Oh, do a video about this. Do a video about that. Do you, do are you noticing any sort of trends or differences in what, what your audience is looking for? No, not really. I mean, I think, you know, so first of all, like I don't, I don't really listen to the request, which it sounds crazy. Like I, I take them in. It, it does but, not but, sound crazy. <laughs> yeah. I take them in. Like I think, Oh, you know, someone wants to see that, but I don't, I don't think of it in certain case. Oh, someone told me I should make this. So obviously I'm going to make it. I think every video I've made has been, you know, on my accord and it wasn't something necessarily that someone suggested for, I think, and this is not to you know be like a, you know, not to bite the hand that feeds. Like I, I really um, have uh a, a great love for all the people who support what I do. But I think a lot of people, when they suggest something, they want, they just want to see their favorite team represented in baseball bits in some way or their favorite player. Right. And I think a good example of, of, of a suggestion like that, you might see if someone will say, Oh, you should make a video about Ted Williams, but I don't just make a video about Ted Williams. You know, there always has to be an interesting angle on it. And until I find the interesting angle on Ted Williams, I'm not going to make, if someone had told me, Hey, you should make a video about Felix Hernandez, then, they would just want a video about Felix Hernandez's career and how about how Felix Hernandez is so great and cool and how cool the Mariners are and how cool the Mariners were when they had Felix Hernandez. Right. That's basically what they want. And what I gave them instead was, um, you know, how Felix Hernandez's um, 2010 season uh, changed the way we view Cy Young voting for the best. Um, so really it just comes down to, you know, um, the, the best suggestion I've ever gotten, though, and the one that I will be keeping in mind is the guy that told me, um i can't remember who it was it was many months ago someone told me i should make a video about home run derby pitching and that was the best suggestion i've ever <laughs> that is a fantastic idea for a video and honestly if if 
anyone's listening to this, you, you can go ahead and make that video. I'm not working on it right now. If you want to beat me to the home run derby <laughs> pitching, that is that's got to be a phenomenal video idea. That is right up my alley too. That yeah, man. And it's one of those things that's it's just under the surface enough, like you would not think about it. But now mm. that you have planted that seed in my head, I'm probably gonna watch home run. I'm never gonna look at it the same. Yeah, you should watch. Uh- Matt Chapman in, in last year's home run derby, his dad pitched to him and his dad was, he was just painting the corners. You know, you, you can't, you, he's trying to get, he's looking for something to pull and his dad is just throw, I mean, his dad is just on fire. He's getting swings and misses. And, and it's just like, and then you watch like, you know, a bench coach or someone throw it and it's just like, it's right in the sweet spot at yeah. the time where they can pull it into those stands. And it's just like, that's, that's the type of thing you should be looking at for home run derby pitching. Go watch Matt Chapman and then watch whoever was pitching to like Vlad Guerrero Jr. And right. That's that, you know, I wonder if that is kind of one of those things where you, you know, you are, it goes back to topic selection, right? It goes back to trying to find evergreen type topics for times like these where there is no baseball. Do you, uh, do you see what, when we started the first time that we did an episode, um, we were, uh, you weren't on camera. You uh, were still very kind of in the developmental state. I mean, it, you, the way it came off to me from then to now, you seem like you've got a much firmer grasp on on this. Right. Um, I've I, I was listening to an interview you did with Jeremy Frank not too long ago, and you had talked about your interest in doing more like in, in eventually. I mean, obviously, we just said you know not not immediately, but like interest in historical historical baseball. And can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so I think that's that definitely manifested itself and to some extent with what we saw with the Earl Weaver video. Another video that I've done that I'm also really proud of is the video about Old Haas Radborn uh, in his 1884 <laughs> season. And one reason I um, I enjoy that one so much is from a technical perspective, I'm making a video about someone who played in the year 1884 and there's no video of him and maybe like five or ten photos of him from his entire lifetime right and so it's like you to piece that together instead of when you have you know an entire library and hours and hours of footage that i can go to at any moment to really tell my story i thought that was really cool but yeah i think ultimately for me to be able to tell stories about historical baseball it just comes down to what i can achieve from a technical standpoint um you know how can i tell the story without there being necessarily you know crisp clear video of it and um so yeah i mean there's, I'm definitely thinking about more topics like that. I, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but I'm definitely course, thinking about yeah. you know certain historical um, teams of note is is definitely a topic I've been thinking about. Who's an interesting team, maybe from the dead ball era that people don't talk about. People talk about individual players a lot, but teams. I think, you know, when you think, oh, this player played with this player who played with this player. I think those kind of connections and, and telling this that story would be interesting as well. Do you think that? Um... You know, do you ever worry, like when you do, like when you did the old Hoss Radborn video, do you ever uh, worry that you're filling in too much of the gaps yourself? Like, you know, for example, the, I use, I use Ty Cobb as kind of an example. Like there was a book that came out that sort of took some, some liberties. And then there was a book, a counterpoint to that book that came out. And there's just so much unverifiable data and there's always so much unverifiable narrative out there on these older players and i i kind of the first time i saw ken burns baseball i felt this way like the first time i saw it i was like oh well this is exactly how it was but then you actually do some research outside of it and you realize oh wait there 
there might actually be more to this. Do you yourself ever get concerned with that, with um, that you're doing, you're taking too much on yourself to fill in the yeah. gaps? I think whoever, you know, if you're in the position that I am, then you do have a responsibility to say where you're filling in those gaps and to say, um, you know, things that, you know, you're, you're not addressing. Um, I'd like to, for example, whenever I'm making a video, I would like to almost in a way address the counter argument to my video as well. Um, so, you know, I would say someone who it's, it's a responsible thing to say someone who disagrees with me would say this instead. And then I would argue this in return to them. You almost have to like have those types of, uh, moments in your video. I kind of am having, there's a small moment of that in a video I'm working on now where this has basically a player is in a situation, um, where um, if they pitch to him, he has a 30% chance to at least tie the game. It's the bottom of the ninth. But I have to say, but it's a 30% chance, but I'm ignoring the possibility of reached on error or a wild pitch or something like that. So it's like, I think there's definitely an element of responsibility. And I think um, as I've gotten more uh, experience, I've tried to uh, be more responsible in regards to that. But it's definitely a great question. Like, I... In some ways, I will say that I speak like very authoritatively about baseball, and a lot of times when I am saying my opinion, I'm saying it as if it's a fact, and that's just I, I'm a product of my environment. And when I wrote, you know, when I was writing history papers in college, that's how we, that's what we were taught to do, is mm-hmm. to make, you know, that that to make your argument, um, you know, almost present it as if it's just undeniable truth, and but also address the counter argument. So that's kind of the school of thinking I'm at when I'm when I'm, you know, really speaking my voice. Sure. It's, it's living in the living in, I I call it the dark gray area. Like you're, you're carving out a stance, but you're not uh, blind or ignorant to the other side of the coin, I guess. Yeah. At least I hope I'm not, you know? Right. Well, that's the goal, right? I mean, I've, I've experienced that with your, with your content, you know, and, and you, and you mentioned it a a little bit with your, um, you said you had uh, the platform, and I and this is just a personal observation, having followed you from for a little bit now. Um, the you you seem to be very conscious of that platform that you have. What has that been difficult to kind of like acknowledge the the scope of your audience and the impact you know of uh, uh, of what you say on social media of uh, on the videos like has that been difficult to kind of wrestle with? Yeah, I think the best sort of example I could give was I did, um, it was a couple months ago, probably it was sometime still during like the regular off season where I tweeted about a certain very popular baseball player. And then someone who didn't follow me, who was probably name searching this player tagged that player. And then they responded to me. And thankfully it wasn't like, a bad um, exchange or anything like that. I was just kind of, but I was kind of speculating about um, a certain player and um, you know, whether something they were doing was right or wrong. And it became kind of apparent to me in that moment that, Hey, some of these guys, if you talk about them, they're going to see it. Um, And um, you know, even though a lot of them just kind of shut all that off and I don't blame them either. Cause if people were talking about me in, in certain ways, I would probably try to shut it off too. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely trying to like, yeah, I have to be aware that, you know, if I talk about certain players in a certain way, there's a chance that they'll see it. And then if they if they do see it, 
I want it to be acceptable. You know, that doesn't mean I'm going to like not necessarily like be critical or anything like that, but it means that if they see it, I have to be ready to back up whatever claim I make. And so that's, that's where the element of responsibility comes in. Does it, does it humanize it a little bit for you? Like when, when something like that happened, because we talk about baseball players, like fans like myself, we talk about them in the abstract, you know, it's, it's almost like they're not, it's almost like they're not real. Like when you see like I, uh, the things I've said about Brooks Conrad <laughs> are, and you laugh cause you're a Braves fan and you relate to that. Like the, the things I've said, I would never repeat to him in person. Brooks, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And, and yeah. I'm not going to apologize for the rest of Braves country. He also had some clutch hits too. He, so he did. So, Brooks Conrad moments. See, point, counterpoint, right? But like, but like did, with that exchange that you just mentioned in particular, like do, when you reach that level of audience, when your audience reaches that scope, do you, does it humanize the, the players themselves for you? I think it has to, if you want to be like taken seriously to some extent. Um, I even just when I was at spring training, just seeing like the the amount of work these guys put in, you know, I'm not interviewing all-star players at spring training. I'm interviewing guys who are, you know, fighting just to make the majors or fighting to get, you know, um, consistent playing time in the majors. prospects who are still on their come up. I interviewed, you know, I won't name names, but a prospect who was at times um, in his professional career viewed as like a top 100 prospect and has kind of fallen on harder times and is trying to, you know, gain some of that status back i mean yeah i'm i definitely like it's definitely humanizing and i think i i think baseball bits as a whole has not been like a very negative series i think the one video i went made where i went like really negative was when i went after albert pujols and his um his lack of speed and his just kind of inability to play everyday baseball despite being paid like an everyday player and even then i hoped i was at least like compassionate to the things he had um done earlier in his career as well as the fact that he was just simply fulfilling you know his contractual obligation um right um but yeah i so i think for baseball bits it's definitely like i would hate to like put out like a hit piece on someone like that and so that's why i kind of make videos that celebrate people like even though the jeff mathis video is partially about how jeff mathis isn't good at hitting it's also about all the things that make him great and special and i think that's kind of i think jeff mathis knows i I think jeff mathis knows i mean yeah i think he's aware of his (laughs) shortcomings as a player but i still want to be like unnecessarily cruel as someone especially because now it's like like i have a hundred thousand subscribers and i have uh twenty four thousand twitter followers like i have as much of a following if not more as, as some of like some like decently good mlb players so i right. have to be uh, you know when it, when you're a fan and you're just a nobody and you're saying these things you're, you're still punching up basically you're you know you're talking about someone who's way more famous than you who's probably making you know way more money than you and and for now it's like you know because i have this voice it's like i i almost have to you know keep in mind where where i stand as well mm-hmm. right and so do you you know kind of touching on the this um uh, that a little bit where you uh talk about you know the platform and everything like that is there is there space for um you know you have a point of view you know what i mean but like where do you have like a line in the sand in terms of like okay there this is too opinionated you know do you you feel like um do you feel any sort of journalistic uh obligation to when you present a video like you said point counterpoint um do you feel an obligation to do that or is that uh or do you still feel like there's space for some opinion in that 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think for me personally, in some ways, people enjoy what I do because it in it's different from the types of sports journalism they're reading. Maybe maybe you know, for example, like uh, I talked about beat writers earlier. To be a beat writer, you have to have like these great interpersonal skills and to be able to build relationships with these players in a clubhouse. And a lot of times you can't really say what you really think about them because it's going to hurt your relationship with them and that's going to hurt you. It's almost uh, political. Right. Um, there's a really interesting in um, this year's BP annual, whoever wrote the, um, the, the, like the forward for the team forward for, I think it was the D- Detroit Tigers um, wrote about, um their experience i can't remember who it was so i can't name their name but they wrote about their experience with justin verlander and um it, you know having this experience where maybe they said something that justin verlander felt was out of line and and the professional repercussions of that so in some ways i don't have to play by those rules which is good so i can talk about players in ways that other media members quite frankly can't but i also you know i also want to be able to give something that's uh you know a more thoughtful than just your normal fan you know talking head talking at the uh right. webcam type of take you might see on the internet most days i'm just trying to strike that balance and uh, uh hopefully i've done a good job of that yeah i mean i would think so i mean it, it's a i've always had this thought that if you know someone has opinions but you don't know what they are uh, that and and I feel that way about about what you're putting out. It has an opinion. It's not always clear what it is. I, I feel like that's accomplishing the mission. That's you know you're not you're not staking you're staking a flag in the ground somewhere, but it's not exactly clear where it is. Um, and so that's what I, I think a lot of people appreciate about the videos that you do and, and the content that you do. Um, so. Uh, Bailey, listen, I, I super appreciate you taking some time out to, to hang, uh, and come back on, come back on the, on the podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's been a blast. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, everyone out there listening, stay safe, stay indoors, wash your hands and, uh, watch Foolish Baseball on YouTube. Absolutely. Thank you.